But my name is Gunnar Mock. I'm a member here at OCC. Um, first thing I want you guys to do, open up your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find one in the seat back in front of you. You can get one off the phone. Um, do whatever you need to to get a Bible open. I truly believe that when you open your Bible, either privately or corporately in the sense that we're doing it, your Bible actually begins to open you. So while you're opening your Bibles, I want you guys to open up to Philippians 4. I mean, Philippians 4, 4 through 13. So while you're getting there, I'm going to give you some time because I'm going to tell a story. (laughs) And this story is about how I got a fake ID, actually. (laughs) So I don't know if you guys have ever had a fake ID, but I had a fake ID. So I had one about eight years ago. I was at the ripe age of 20. Okay, I was, I think I was like six months away from 21, so I guess I couldn't wait for some odd reason. I can't really honestly remember my total mindset behind this, but I was like, yeah, I need a fake right now. <laughs> and, uh, but I had friends that were bouncers at a brother's bar downtown, and I worked there for like two years, so you'd end up with a stack like this, just from fakes that you would take at one point. And uh, I, actually, okay, if you don't know what a fake idea is, there are two kinds. I guess you're getting a little extra education today on top of the Bible. So you have a manufactured ID, which I think you can order online. I actually didn't do that one. You can order one online. It has your picture and everything. It has your name, and it's, but it says you're 21. And it has like different information. You might have like an Illinois one or something like that. Um, but the picture looks terrible. You can take them right away. It's easy. Or you can get a falsified ID, which looks like you, but it's completely another person, right? But it's an actual ID. But it might not be expired yet. Like, maybe it was your older sisters or brothers or something. (laughs) And uh, so that's what I did. But it was for my bouncer friend, and like $20 later, I had a fake ID. And I don't condone any of this, by the way. This is not good. Um, But I actually remember the name, too. His name was Chris Pendergast. I don't know why I remember that. It's been like eight years, but I remember that my name was Chris for about six months. Um... (laughs) <laughs> why, why do I tell this, this kind of dumb story, though? Well, I tell it because I, I, was, I was seeking something in this fake ID. I, I wanted, I think my brother was 23 or 24, my older brother, and I'll go to Milwaukee to visit him pretty often, and I always wanted to, uh, I, I always wanted to get into the bars with him or get into the bars with my friends that were older in college. So that, that was the big rationale behind why I wanted to get one, but I... Be underneath those things, I was seeking something. I was seeking to, to get satisfaction. I was seeking to get um, some level of contentment or even joy uh, outside of getting this fake ID and getting into these bars and doing all these other things. Um, and the reason, again, I bring that up is because we all, at some point, have that in our lives where we're seeking, we're seeking satisfaction, contentment, joy with a quote-unquote fake ID, but yours just isn't a fake ID. You're just, it's just you're seeking something else out that you think is going to bring you this level of satisfaction, contentment, and joy like it was for me. And these fake IDs, even though the lie that the world tells us says it's going to bring you joy, it's going to make you happy, it's going to bring you contentment and satisfaction, they actually start to deprive us of joy. They actually give way to anxiety. 
they give way to worry in our lives. And then they start to give way to symptoms in our lives that start to appear, right? So, but these symptoms we would call sin, or the world would call them symptoms. And they're false saviors, these fake IDs, these idols that we're seeking for. And I wish I could take credit for this illustration because it's so good. But I heard it in a sermon from Josh Patterson at the Village Church. So I'm not that creative all the time. I wish I was. But, but keep this illustration in mind as we start to think about where we derive our joy from. Where we derive our contentment and satisfaction from. So the text we're in again is Philippians 4. 4 through 13. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And we see that the mention of joy here, correct, at the beginning in verse 4. Well, joy is actually mentioned in the epistle, this epistle, about 20 times or so. Rejoicing or being joyful or joy in general. And it's actually called the epistle of joy for that reason. I I think we're in the right place here. So here are some examples I just want to give you guys of joy being mentioned throughout the entire book of Philippians. You can probably read Philippians in like, if you're a good reader, like 15, 20 minutes too, if you guys want to get through this at some point. But Philippians 1, 18 says, but that doesn't matter. Whether the motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. Philippians 2, 17 through 18 But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Philippians 3.1 Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice In the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Now, today's sermon is titled Learning How to Fight for Joy in Our Lives. And that's part of the struggle, isn't it? 
It's something that's so elusive in today's day and age. If I asked each and every one of you, how do you define joy? Or how do you get joy? Or what does that look like in your life right now? I think I'd get like 40 different answers. Or maybe 40 the same. I don't know. But I think it'd be 40 different answers. Something different. But it's, it's, so it's not a new problem. It's not something that all of a sudden has come about in the past 20 to 30 years and this is a new age. No, it's been a problem that's been existing for about 2,000 years now, or longer, since the beginning of time. The church in Philippi was struggling with this. I, I, I wonder why Paul would talk about joy so much in this letter, unless the Philippians were experiencing some level of discontentment or dissatisfaction in their life. And Paul actually talks about some causes of joylessness in their lives. He hits on it. So one of the most relatable, and I hit on it a little bit earlier today, one of the most relatable that's going to be here for us and where we're kind of going to center on a little bit is this level of anxiety or worry. Each of us has our own levels of it, I would say, right? Some worse, some not as bad, but we all at some point struggle with it. And it's probably easy for me to stand up here and preach to you guys about this, right? That, that somehow that I'm, I'm immune to like anxiety, immune to seeking out joy or, or having despair in my life. But that's not true. I struggle. I struggle with this at times. I struggled with anxiety writing the sermon, as, as maybe Craig can uh, talk to you guys about. It, it's difficult. But I think a big problem that each and every one of us face is this that we tend to view our lives through the lens of our circumstances instead of through the lens of God's word. Or viewing our circumstances through the lens of God's word. We don't see Paul writing that you should rejoice only when your circumstances are good and comfortable and great. We don't see him that saying that. Actually, the ESV and NIV, two different translations of these verses, uh, Paul says to rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm sure if we went to the Greek, it would mean always. So uh, we should remember that Paul isn't just kind of blowing smoke at us here. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to have despair in his life and hunger. I mean, he's writing this letter from a Roman jail cell. He, I've heard it said that, that Paul must have been probably the happiest dude in Rome. I mean, to write a letter literally about joy for the Philippians from a jail cell, and I can't imagine conditions 2,000 years ago were that great in jail cells either. Another big question that arises from this text, how did Paul not have great anxiety that robbed his joy from him during this time? So what caused him to have joy amidst this time of suffering and anxiety and worry? Well, let's go back to verses 6 and 7, and we'll find the answer there. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. 
His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And after reading those verses, uh, more questions. We've got a lot of questions today. Another big question that we can actually begin to ask ourselves, this is going to be a really big one, but can you really relieve your anxiety through prayer and experience God's unspeakable peace? Ask that one more time. Can you really relieve your anxiety through prayer and experience God's unspeakable peace? Well, if, if we believe that the Bible is true, that it's without error, that it's authoritative in our lives, I think the answer that we have to give is yes to that question. I don't think that's our initial thoughts. I think our initial thoughts is, I don't know. I don't feel that. I don't think so. But if we, if we go back to my illustration of me thinking that having a fake ID, right, something that allowed me to do something else, and getting what I desired from that fake ID, that there would be a, it's hard to explain, but that there'd be a measure of relief from this restlessness that I had in my soul. Maybe each of one of you can like uh, experiences with me, but, but you've probably had a level of restlessness in yourself at some point in your life. You've had a level of discontentment that was very difficult to explain. You just, you just were unsure of why, why, why you were angry or why you were sad or, or why. You just, you just don't know. And, and, and you're seeking out, and we, we are seeking out, not just you, me, but we're seeking out the, the, the answer to this discontentment and this anxiety and this worry in everything else for me is alcohol and drugs. And they only went so far until you're looking for the next fix, until you're looking for the next fix. For some of us, that's relationships. Some of us are seeking out the answers in relationships, maybe even. I think the list can go on and on here. And I, I think that this, this stems from a belief that we need to get what we desire in order to be happy and joyful. And maybe, again, maybe they do for a time, right? They do for a time. I would say for a few years there, from 18 to, to 23, I, I loved doing those things. I reveled in them. It, it provided a level of, it, it numbed me to the pain that was there. And you guys might feel this too. Uh, I, I was separated from God. I was living with these, oh man, self-defeating, unrelenting thoughts filled with worry. Um, and on the outside, it might not have seemed that way, especially when I drank enough to act a different way. But they were still there the next day. Christians, we're living like this sometimes. We're filled with, sometimes have these same thoughts that I had, um, but luckily we have hope. And Paul speaks to this. Paul speaks to a specific thing of our thoughts. In verses 8 and 9, if you go there, you'll see that Paul exhorts the church to fix their thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. 
admirable. He shows us that what we think matters, and it matters more than we think. So what we think matters, and that matters more than we think. And so you might be questioning yourself, well, that was a lot of, lot of adjectives, a lot of descriptors. What do we know that is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable? And I'm, it's going to be corny, and it's going to be, I guess, the Sunday school answer, but it's God's word. Right? Maybe a lot of you guys are thinking that. But we can set our thoughts. We can set our thoughts on what the Bible has to say, what God has to say about us and our circumstances. And that can dictate what we think about God in our lives. Instead of letting our circumstances dictate our lives. And there's something I, I really want to point out here that, that's going on. And it's going to have a really big impact on today's message. But in verse 9, Paul specifically says that the Philippians need to put into practice. They need to put into practice all that you learned and received. And, and that could be a lot of things, right? What does that specifically mean? Do we, how far do we delve into this? Well, in today's context of what we're talking about, it's joy and contentment that he learned to have in Christ. If you go down to verse 11 with me really quick in your Bibles, I'm not sure what it says in other translations, probably something really similar, um, but Paul says that he has learned, he learned how to be content with whatever it has, whatever he has. It wasn't something that was just like zapped into him. I think that's a, that's a classic trope. Maybe you might hear a lot uh, in, in, in today's evangelical Christianity America. Um, but you might hear the message of, as soon as you become a Christian, all your problems go away. Or as soon as you've received salvation, you somehow won't feel despair anymore or the answer to all your problems are somehow like already there. And in a sense, it's true, right? In a sense, it's true. But in another sense, I think everybody here could attest to this, that you have felt despair or sadness after becoming a Christian. You have felt a level of discontentment. It's something that's super hard to understand, it's let alone, let alone do, I've, I've heard that Christian contentment and joy can be, can be defined as like a, a precious jewel. I think it was C.J. Mahaney that said that, a pastor. They even wrote a book about it. Um, that it's just a precious jewel that, that's hard to grasp. But Paul shows us, luckily, he shows us. Paul learned contentment as he followed Jesus. And he also, he also knew that it didn't start with like our own strength or something like that. But it starts with realizing and believing that Christ is enough in our lives. Paul shows us how this works itself out in verse 13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I would be remiss to say, to not like talk about this passage. Because who's seen this on a coffee mug? 
right? Or, or a bumper sticker or something, or on your coworker's desk or something like that, and you ask them about it, and it doesn't always go well. Um, so it, it's probably, next to John 3.16, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible, but it's most likely the most misapplied verse in the Bible. I think you see athletes use this one a lot, like it's in their Instagram bio or their Twitter bio or something, Philippians 4.13. You're like, well, maybe not. Like, I, I would love to dunk a basketball. I would love to run a 4.440, but I'm telling you, that ain't happening. I mean, I guarantee it. No matter how much I pray this verse, like I'm probably not going to run a 4.440 and have a 36-inch vert. Um, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> what is confusing in this passage is that word everything or all things. Uh, these, these words, as in a lot of things in the Bible, should probably be governed by context. Uh, it might, and this is actually a really good tool to have in your tool belt when studying the Bible. You should go to other translations when you don't when something doesn't make sense, like if you're reading in the NIV and something doesn't quite come across, maybe you go to the message, or maybe you go to the NLT, uh, or maybe you go to the ESV. It's a good tool to use when studying your Bible is to go to other translations. And this is what happens here. The NIV actually translate this, translate this better than the NLT or the ESV. It translates this as, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. For me, that, that makes a lot more sense. And we see here that Paul brings it all together, right? That Paul, through Christ, can be content in all situations. That he can have all of this. And this is what we've been seeing here in all these verses, that, that Christ is enough. And again, you might be saying that this is all great, this is awesome. I've, I've heard this a thousand times. I've assented to this intellectually. I, I know what you're trying to get at, Gunner, but where, where do I even start? How does it play out in my life? Well, you start here. That Christian joy comes from realizing what we deserve, not from getting what we desire. I'll say that one more time. Christian joy comes from realizing what we deserve, not from getting what we desire. Should have mentioned that's my first point. A great quote from a commentary by, that I read to prepare for this message, it was by uh, Francis Chan and, and Tony Marita, uh, but they said it so well, so I have to quote them because they, just, they, they brought it together so much better than I ever could. Most people think you get joy when you get what you desire. But real joy comes when you realize what you deserve. The realization of what you deserve, which is judgment, and what you've received instead, which is salvation and grace, should lead you to great joy. It's not about getting what you want. It's about being grateful for all that you have in Christ Jesus. And I can hear some of it already. I can, I can kind of hear the, the firebacks of, of, but my identity isn't in what we deserve now that I am in Christ. And I 
Totally agree with you. Your identity is rooted in Christ, what he's done for you, and the salvation that's been bought for you by his blood on the cross. Without a doubt. But I think it's regular reflection, like I kind of did earlier in the sermon, regular reflection on how graciously that we've been treated by God despite these prior circumstances, like my prior circumstances. It can actually help us have reason to rejoice in any circumstance from then on. Like, I my life doesn't have to be defined by the fact that I had a fake ID and, and was searching out all of these things and searching out all this contentment. My life doesn't have to be defined by that. It's defined by what the Bible says about me, what God has to say about me. This plays itself out in your lives more than you think, way more than you think. There are circumstances that you're going to run into where people are going to harm you, they're going to say things against you, and you have options of how to respond. And if you're in Christ, the option that you have, one option that you have, instead of pronouncing judgment on them, you can actually give grace. You know why? Because of what I read here. You, you have been shown much grace. You deserve the judgment, but instead you received a free gift of salvation. And we can give that out freely because it's been given freely to us. What good news? This alters everything. Every single situation in your marriage, to how you treat your kids, to how you speak with your family members, to how you teach in a school, to how you interact with people on a daily basis. And of course, of course, this, you will have sorrow you're going to have anger. There's going to be despair that can reign in your lives at times. Again, go back to the old trope of, of when you become a Christian, like everything's taken care of, like you're never going to be sad again, all those things. And man, that is just, actually, your life might get harder. Because Jesus calls you to pick up your cross and die. Not sit on your couch and be comfy all the time. That's a much different message than sometimes you hear. These things are all unavoidable. And of course they'll be experienced. But Paul had an amazing answer to this, to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 6.10, he shows us this as it says, Our hearts ache, ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Paul once again shows us, and he demonstrates throughout his, throughout his letters, that even amidst these despairing circumstances and situations, we have cause to rejoice. We can rejoice when we have nothing. We can rejoice when things seem so awful. We have everything, he says. He uses the word everything. We can look to Christ. And instead of all those idols that I talked about, about, about my idols of seeking out a contentment or, or uh, approval in others that I was seeking, those things run out eventually. They run dry. They might work for a time, for sure. I, I experienced it for about five years. They run dry. But Christ says he's living water that will never run out. His joy never stops, even in the midst of our struggle. When all of these other things that we have, when we start to struggle, they just start to crumble. 
but Christ is that solid foundation that's always there. We can even sing with joy. Even if there are tears running down your face in the process, you can sing with joy. And we touched, touched on this earlier, but it's worth saying again, my second point, is that Christian joy and contentment are learned and unconnected to our circumstances. Christian joy and contentment are learned and unconnected to our circumstances. I don't know if you realize this by now, but it's a major theme throughout these passages. Contentment amidst circumstances. Joy amidst circumstances. And Paul said it best, again, is he learned this. And this is practically where it starts to work itself out and how we fight for that joy in our lives. Paul, has, Paul gives us direction here too, though. Firstly, we realize that it's not done in our own strength. If, if anything, from Craig's message a few weeks ago, when we all said, like, we don't got it. We all said that as a church, we don't got it. We, we know that. And some people might say that and, and be like, down in the dumps, right? But, but Romans 8 even shows us that that's not the case for us. We have cause to rejoice because it's been taken care of. It's freeing. I think some of us walk around this life like, like I was, and in every single situation, we think we have to be the hero, or we have to take care of it. We have to take care of everything. And if we don't, then we're an automatic failure. And that's how I lived my life. So when I heard the news that it's already been taken care of, man, like you're good. Like, oh my gosh, you like melt into your seat. It's like all this, this worry and anxiety is just thrown off of you in some ways. I mean, there, again, there is a part of that where it's like you feel that immediately. You feel that relief. But we can rely on him and his saving work on the cross for our joy. But even more practically, I want to give us three steps. I don't think these are up there, but I want you guys to go to 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. I think it might be up there too. Not sure. But this is going to give us, Paul's going to give us some really good practical steps of how we actually do this. 16 through 18 says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So step number one. Step number one. I want you to rely on Christ in all situations. I want you to bring Christ into all situations. It's funny. In the commentary I read, they they talked about this. But in Paul's world, in his day, about 2,000 years ago, the philosophies of his day in the Greek world preached finding contentment in self-sufficiency. I I don't know if that's like a really big word, but like you, you, you try to take care of everything yourself or you have the answer to all of your problems within yourself. That's what the philosophy kind of preached. Um, it it's actually sounds a lot like what we have here today. Um, I brought this up to Kenzie, Stoicism, and she's like, well, I don't know if that's, anybody's going to know what Stoicism is. Well, that's true. Nobody might know, but it actually exists today in our philosophy. Stoicism, Stoics, they say that the answer is found within yourself, so this philosophy still exists today. You actually hear it a lot, even on social media. Um, you might have heard it like, well, pick yourself up just by your bootstraps, uh, work harder next time. And there's something to that. We should definitely be working hard for the Lord. Um, 
But the Bible is, is, is timeless and timely in, in this effort. Uh, when Paul's world and ours preaches that we should find joy in ourself, you should be able to take care of your problems only by yourself, that you should rely only on yourself, we preach the gospel that relies on Christ's sufficiency, not our self-sufficiency. And the step two, you've probably heard this before, but I know that, I know that through time it works. It's not, it's not a one-time thing. None of these things are just one-time things. It's like parenting. We did a parenting class for like eight weeks, and we talked so much about how you have to practice and rehearse, practice and rehearse. And, and you're not going to get it right on the first try. Or it's not going to work on the first try. You're not going to see fruit. I don't think you're always going to see fruit from the first time you pray, but it's a continual rehearse thing that you do over and over again throughout every situation that you're brought into. We see in today's text even that, that Paul says, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. We know, and even with Jesus, prayer was a priority. He regularly went off by himself to pray and be alone with his father, regularly. And Craig has, Craig has talked about this before in other sermons, but our lives should be marked by prayer. Now, can you, can you never stop praying? Oh, yeah, no. Like, it's not what he's saying. You would have to disregard other things that you've been commanded to do to never stop praying, literally. But we can bring prayer into every single situation in our life. Our lives can be marked by a level of prayer. And the last step that Paul shows here is that we should be thankful in all circumstances. At the, I think the first two steps take care of themselves, that we rely on Christ and we're ceaselessly praying, bringing prayer into every single situation, that, that should probably result in a thankfulness in all circumstances. Now, this isn't a thankfulness for your circumstances. I can't imagine Paul would, would want us to be thankful for the death of a loved one or like I was dealing with this week, neck pain. I was complaining all week. But the main point is that regardless of these things, regardless of these circumstances, we have our solid foundation, our cornerstone that we can rely on that will not be destroyed like our false idols in Christ.